Today is Thursday, December the 14th, 2023, and this is a Daily Inc. update. Well, the U.S. House voted on Wednesday night to formally launch an impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. The vote was 221 to 212. The resolution was offered into the full House in order to keep the committees going further with their investigation into the Biden family business schemes. This comes after committees were being stonewalled by the White House and the Biden family from getting the documents and testimony that they're seeking. A perfect case in point is Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who was scheduled for a closed-door deposition on Wednesday within the House Oversight Committee. Hunter demanded a public hearing instead, but that was rejected by the committee chairman, James Comer, who said a public hearing would be held after a private deposition was done first. Hunter Biden proceeded to hold a press conference across the street from the House office complex on the day that he was supposed to be conducting a deposition. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. Hunter then got in a car and drove away. He never answered questions from the press and he never showed up for his deposition. This puts him in contempt of Congress. The Republican Party research team quickly posted a video of Joe Biden saying just two years ago that anyone who refused to appear in response to a subpoena from the House January 6th Select Committee should be thrown in jail. congressional subpoenas on the January 6th committee. I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Should they be prosecuted by the I, Justice I do, Department? yes. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, had this to say about Hunter Biden's press conference and certain comments that he made. I think the biggest takeaway was the statement from Mr. Biden where he said, my father was not financially involved in the business. That is a huge change, which means sort of means he's involved. I think that's how anyone with common sense would read it. He's been involved, just not financially. That is a huge departure from everything they've said now for the last three and a half years. So as the chairman pointed out, the White House's story has changed multiple times. The Justice Department uh, story has changed multiple times on how they handle this investigation. But the story that hasn't changed, the testimony that has been consistent and stood up to cross-examination is the two whistleblowers. Their story has not changed. And frankly, it's been buttressed and reinforced by every we've done eight different depositions of people involved in the investigation at the Justice Department, the Hunter Biden investigation. And none of them have refuted what those guys say. So over time, it just keeps changing from the White House. And this this statement today, I think, is is the biggest news of, of the morning, I guess, along with the fact that he didn't show up. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to take up a case that challenges the use and interpretation of a federal law regarding obstruction of an official proceeding. The three defendants in this case were charged by federal prosecutors using this federal law for their part in the January 6 events in Washington, D.C. The three defendants have been appealing their charges, saying that the federal government is openly abusing and misinterpreting the federal law in order to charge them and hundreds of others of people that were in D.C. on January 6. Julie Kelly is a journalist who has been following dozens of J6 defendants and their legal cases. Kelly spoke about this recent decision on Steve Bannon's war room. For two reasons, the March 4th trial date is gone. Uh, Number one is the Supreme Court agreeing this morning to take up this 1512C2 count. This is the felony charge that DOJ has weaponized, bastardized, 
flagrantly misinterpreted the language and applied this to more than 320 January 6th defendants. It also represents half of Jack Smith's four-count indictment against Donald Trump. He charged him not only with the 1512C to obstruction of an official official proceeding, but also conspiracy to commit obstruction of an official proceeding. So that really threw a big monkey wrench into Jack Smith's plans today. We were sort of waiting for that to happen on Monday. The Supreme Court announced it today. Look, there is no argument that the DOJ has misinterpreted that statute intentionally and finally are going to get caught for doing so. This decision by the Supreme Court comes on the same day that a D.C. federal judge decided to freeze any more movement on the trial against Trump that's being conducted by Jack Smith. That's because a different issue over presidential immunity is working its way through the appellate court system. Smith was hoping to start the trial against Trump this coming March, but the two decisions made by the two different courts this week is now putting the timing of that trial into question. This even potentially pushes Trump's trial past the 2024 election, which is what his attorneys have been seeking all along. Trump has been posting almost every day since this trial came about from Smith that Smith could have issued charges against him years ago and that the timing of this trial is nothing short of election interference. There was a survey done by Rasmussen Reports that was released earlier this week that brings a whole new perspective about the level of election fraud that occurred in 2020. The survey was conducted by Rasmussen and the Heartland Institute, and it was done among voters regarding their actions during the 2020 presidential election. The survey results show that one out of five voters admitted to at least one kind of voter fraud with their mail-in ballot. 17% said they used a mail-in ballot to vote in a state where they no longer permanently live. 21% admitted to filling out a mail-in ballot for a friend or family member And 17% said that they signed a ballot for a friend or family member without that person's permission. 8% said that in 2020, they were offered some type of pay or reward for voting. Now consider this other statistic that was put out by Rasmussen. 43% of U.S. voters cast their vote in 2020 for president using mail-in ballots. The director of the Heartland Institute, Justin Haskins, called the survey results stunning He says that no Democratic Republic can survive if election laws allow voters to commit this type of fraud so easily. Also happening in the U.S. Supreme Court this week, the justices decided to take a case that challenges the abortion pill Mifepristone. The Biden administration is appealing the case to the Supreme Court after an appellate court ruled that the drug cannot be sent through the mail system, but must be obtained from a pharmacy. Danko Laboratories produces Mifepristone. They're also joining into the case with the Biden administration. The oral arguments in this case will be delivered in the spring of 2024, with justices issuing their ruling in June. These national story updates have been brought to you by Open Inc., a website that is a repository of documents for those who like deep digging, critical thinking, and true journalism, where the facts speak for themselves. Up next, a preview of what is coming and what is available on the Open Inc. website. Well, as you already heard in the National Report, I brought up the whole Rasmussen Reports survey, which has brought to light a whole new level of voter fraud going on through the mail-in balloting system that occurred both in 2020 and 2022. Remember, the net results of that survey shows that one in five mail-in ballot voters admitted to at least one kind or more of election fraud violation 
That survey was not overlooked by Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA. He described this whole mail-in ballot process as a new form of private voting that has no accountability in order to keep the voter honest. Kirk says this new method is certainly being seized upon by the Democratic Party in order to mobilize voters within that party who would otherwise be irresponsible in exercising the traditional civic duty of going to a polling place and casting a ballot. We know this is fraudulent behavior. And how often does this happen? Well, here's an example. If a parent doesn't care about voting, but their college-educated kid does, and she just takes their ballots, fill them out, get them to sign them in a rush, and then drops all the ballots off, that's fraud, but it will never be caught. The way we used to do elections is you got to go to a polling place. And the Democrats hated that it took too much effort because the Democrat Party is largely, it's two groups of people, oligarchs and unsatisfied, miserable, upper middle class, college educated white people and permanently government addicted underclass and the permanently government addicted underclass. They they tend to not work. They tend to not have as much skin in the game. They just want freebies. They want free benefits. Give me more stuff. Give me even some people abortion. And it's a it's a harder lift. It is a bigger lift to get them to go to a physical place. Democrats said we got rid of it. They send everyone a piece of paper unregulated unmonitored and no idea who's actually filling it out. But this poll shows that nearly one in five of those ballots self admission, by the way, that means it's even higher. This is people acknowledging and admitting they are committing felonies. Tomorrow, I'm going to feature a few parts of a discussion that Greg Phillips recently had in which he talks about things related to True the Vote, the lawfare attacks he and Catherine Engelbrecht are experiencing, as well as the Georgia elections. So stay tuned for that. And don't forget, there is now an opportunity for those who utilize the Open Ink resource to offer any tips on documentation, ideas, or resources that would be useful in expanding the Open Ink website. You can send those tips by way of an email to grace at open.inc. But do remember that the Open Inc. website is still under construction in the document section to make for a better experience by Open Inc. consumers. Thanks for listening to this Daily Inc. update. <laughs>